Welcome to the Desert Street Podcast, the podcast helping you develop forex trading skills for more freedom. I'm your host, Etienne Kret. We are in episode 146. Let's get started right away. Welcome, everyone. This week, I am joining you from Poland, actually this time Warsaw, and I'm heading to another city in a couple of days, which is going to be very interesting. Now, I had the chance to record this amazing YouTube live with Paul Singh. Paul has been on the podcast a few episodes ago. That was episode 118, if you want to listen back to it. And Paul has a very interesting story where he made the transition from part-time to full-time trading. He came on a podcast the first time to talk about exactly how he did it. But I promise after the podcast, we would do a YouTube live to dive a little bit more into his swing trading practices, which is exactly what we did a few days ago. In addition to mastering swing trading, Paul decided to jump into day trading at some point after going full-time to expand his trading activities. While being responsible for the swing trading room at Wolves and Wall Street, he's been able to help a lot of traders understand swing trading and do things right, which means doing the research beforehand, getting into the market with the proper mindset, and executing properly, which is exactly what he shared about in this interview. I need to remind you that part of this YouTube live had Paul showing graphs, which might be better to watch on YouTube. If you want to see this, simply go on thisartofthread.com forward slash 146. You'll see the link for the YouTube video. But I think you still get the ideas and understand pretty well only from the audio. So without further ado, please help me welcome Paul Singh. So how's it going, Paul, today? Oh, I'm doing great. Doing great. Sitting here in uh, where I always am in San Diego. I know you're bouncing around from place to place, but I'm in my office here and I've actually got a couple of trades going right now. So if you see me popping back and forth, that's what I'm doing. But yeah, yeah, I'm doing good. It's awesome. Yeah, we talked a long time ago. We said we'll do a YouTube live. It took a long time to yeah, get back to it, but it's pretty awesome. So I'll right, right. take a few minutes to introduce yourself. And if you pull join us, we'll tell you welcome, guys. And come in the chat if you have any questions at any time for me or Paul. But yeah, introduce yourself to people who you are, what you do, and kind of how you've been trading also. Right, right. So I'm Paul Singh. My focus has been swing trading. I've been swing trading for 20 years. I started in the late 90s internet boom. In the last interview, we went over the specifics of my whole process and journey. Started out as a part-time trader. And I did that basically from about 2000 to 2012. Really got serious about it in the mid-2000s. That was during the commodities boom. And from there, gradually built my account to where I could trade full-time. And in 2012, I went full-time. And after going full-time, I started initially dabbling in day trading because basically I was bored. Because <laughs> with swing trading, you know, you put on four or five positions and there's nothing to do the rest of the day, which was perfect when you have a full-time job, which I know a lot of people listening today are probably in that position. But I got into day trading and that's been going really well. And a student that I mentored back in the mid-2000s started a site called Bulls on Wall Street. And he contacted me right around the time I went full-time, just a little bit after that. He was like, hey, you know, and he got really good at day trading. He's an amazing day trader. He's got tons of people following Kanal Desai in his day trading chat room. But he wanted to open up a swing service. And uh, so I've been running that since 2014. So that's basically what I do. I trade full-time, swing trading, day trading, run the swing service at Bulls on Wall Street, and basically doing what I love. So uh, yeah, it's been fantastic. And I think the goal for today is to go over a little swing trading, but also for you guys who want to either trade part-time or break from part-time to full-time, kind of going over the process and the journey and how you actually go about doing that. Yeah, yeah. I think both parts kind of have their challenges. So trading with a full-time job and then trading full-time. So right. Very different. And maybe getting back to swing trading a little bit. So one of the things I see, and kind of mention it pretty fast, is the fact that people who they trade, they have fees because they can place trades and then that's like they place trade. They have kind of fun, we could say, a little right. bit. But they're active. While if you are going to swing trade, you might not be active all the time, which means that you have a lot of downtime, maybe more time that you want to place trades. And you uh, cannot replace trade because you can't, you, the system is it's, it's not working that time. Right. So how do you deal with that? And I know you went to day trading after, but was it something you did at that time? Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, day trading, you're in the moment. Like you have this process and routine of what you do. You have these things, these setups you've mastered, and you're basically repeating that day in and day out. It's kind of exciting when you're doing it. Swing trading is much different. There's a lot of moving parts that you have to pay attention to more than specific setups. 
So there is a lot of research you're doing outside of your trades. So, you know, to place the, you know, the frequency of trades is obviously much less. Say in a month, you know, depending on the market, your style, you might place anywhere from, you know, four or five trades to maybe 15 or 20 trades, depending. But you're not making a ton of trades every day. But those trades you make, a lot goes into it. So there is the time where you're putting into research, you're putting in, you know, market analysis, sector analysis, understanding money flow, understanding what setups to be trading. That's a really important thing that I think a lot of swing traders miss is, you know, you have this basket of setups. I think for me, you know, I'm probably trading, I've never kept an actual count of how many different setups I trade for swing trading, but it's probably somewhere between 30 and 40 different setups. Wow. But it's not, and you, know, you might have these scans, and I've actually moved away from scans, you know, last two, three years. But you might have scans spitting out like a bunch of different stocks that'll trigger these different setups you trade. And you can find these stocks every day, but to really find the ones that are going to work, you have to understand the market and what setups are best for that market. So all of these things you're thinking about, which is much different than day trading. Day trading, you know, like say you're trading a gap or strategy in the morning, you know, stock gaps like this, you're looking for this and you just trade it. Or with swing trading, there's all these different factors you're thinking about. So for example, in the current market, more recently after the sell-off we had in early 2018, now things are starting to look better. And we're seeing the market kind of continue rather than break down. So if you're trading breakdown patterns, you're probably not going to be doing well right now. If you're shorting, you're probably, unless you're picking the right stocks and specific setups, you're probably not going to be doing as well right now. You want to be trading the setups that relate to, say, continuation patterns. So any setups you have related to that, you should be trading aggressively right now. And that all comes from understanding your market analysis. And then you go break it down to sectors. You really know, need to know which sectors are moving. So right now, we're getting a broad-based rally over the last couple of weeks. But if you knew you should be trading big tech right now, you should be trading retail right now, which is surprising because retail has been so bad you know, going into the last few months. But if you're trading those two spots, you're probably doing really well. So knowing that these are the two spaces I need to be in, will really help. And at that point, you can almost throw darts on what you're picking, what setups you're trading. So this is the process for swing trading. Obviously, it's much, you have to dig a little deeper than that. You know, there's a lot involved in it. So in that sense, there is a lot of work to be done. So it's not like you put, yeah, I think I made it sound like you put these three, four trades, you do nothing and you know, it's that easy, but it's, it's not that you, there's a, a lot to do, but a lot of this comes, you know, outside of market hours and the actual fun part of making trades you're not doing as much of. So yeah, so for me, it was, you know, you, I had the same process, but I was used to, you know, during the day, I would be, you know, I had a pretty demanding job in the legal field. So, you know, I was doing that. And then when I actually went full time, you know, I thought, well, this is a dream. This is what I want to do. But then I, I had a lot of downtime. And that's when I got into day trading. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. And I'm sure people here want to hear about your trade setup for swing trading. Yeah, because you uh, said you have 3D. So are they like similar? Or are they very different? And do you have uh, to check this once you apply them? How does that work? Yeah, so it, it's really related to what the market is doing. So, you know, I classify the market basically from a macros perspective, I'll think of it like this. You know, is the market in a trend or is it range bound? So if it's range bound, I'm going to be trading specific setups. For example, if we're in a range bound market and we're towards, say, the highs of the range, I'm going to be looking for a lot of failed breakouts because the market is not trending at this point. So a lot of the stocks that are breaking the highs, whether it be recent highs or all-time highs or you know, whatever the time frame you're looking at, I'm going to have a bias towards trading a failed breakout setup. So if that setup triggers, I'm going to take it. Whereas in the market right now where my expectation is we're running and we're going to see a trend, I'm not going to be looking for failed breakouts. I want to see the stocks that are, are running. So here, I'm going to be trading breakouts or continuation patterns. So, you know, that's part of it. So in the current market that we're in right now, my favorite, I would say three or four setups right now. So of the, you know, 30, 40 setups I might be trading, the three or four main setups I'm, I'm trading are continuation patterns. And off the continuation patterns, there's essentially two ways to be playing it. One, I'm looking for remounts. Pullback remount. So stocks that had pulled back and now are remounting key levels. The other would be breakout stocks that are just breaking the highs. And I could actually give you some examples here of stocks that are doing that in a second. Uh, actually, why don't I do that right now? So I'm yeah, going to go yeah, ahead yeah. and 
share my screen. Let me know if you're seeing my screen here. All right, can you see my screen? Yep, I'm actually full Okay, so. so I'm on Netflix right now. Netflix is a great example of a continuation pattern here. You can see here, it's been in a fantastic trend, made highs here and here, pulled back. I'm actually in this right now. So, and this, you know, was sent to trade report members at both on Wall Street, but I'm in this trade right now. This was a pullback play. You can see there was an earnings breakout here, pulled back, tested the 50-day moving average. And anytime I get a pullback, I'm looking for one, the market to be validating what's happening with the stock, and two, looking for a show of strength at that support level. So I don't blindly buy pullbacks. I want to see a show of strength. So this is a classic example of a continuation pattern that was a pullback continuation kind of remount play. So pullback held the 50-day moving average really well and then broke the nine EMA here. So these are two really key moving averages I look at. I also look at open gaps and we remounted this open gap as well. So we had an entry right here at 314. And initially, my target range was the top of the range at about 335 to 340. And that would have given me two to one on my trade. So I was making you know two times what I was risking on that. Now, I could have taken profits there, but I'm still in it all the way up at 350. And this is the part where market analysis comes in, where I ask myself, what kind of market are we in? And this goes to when we were talking about range bound or trending markets. If we were in a range bound market, that would have guided me to get out at 335 to 340. But since our market analysis was telling us that we expect a trend, and there are a lot of factors besides just the market trend. I was looking at market breadth indicators and how the different indexes are relating to each other. For example, the fact that if we pull out, I know I'm going all over the place, but if we pull SPY here, we see where SPY is. And I always like markets where IWM is leading because it means we're getting a more broader based move. And we could see IWM was actually at highs while, while SPY was down here. That's a good signal for the market. Another indicator I look at is the T2108, which measures stocks above their 40-day moving averages. And that was very strong here. So you know, if we look at SPY, we would have expected it to be down here, but it was actually getting close to highs here. So that was another market breadth indicator I like. And just the fact that I was seeing more stocks to trade. All these factors, and there's a few more, gave me the indication that I expect the market to run. I expect a trend here. And because of that, we didn't take profits at 340. We've let it run and we're at 350 now on Netflix. And I'm actually even going for a bigger win. So now, you know, I'm still in it. I'm trailing my stop. So initially we were in at 314. I'd moved my stop up to 335. So locked in 20 points. Yesterday I moved it up to 344 to lock in 30 points. I was uh, a little worried about the news coming out of Italy. I mean, we know the spy here got down pretty big yesterday and has come back nicely today. And we actually weren't too worried where normally I would be really worried on a, a gap down of 1% kind of breaking a trend like this. But going back to the market breadth stuff we talked about, IWM held up very well yesterday. It didn't gap down the way SPY did. So that was another good indicator. And, and these are good examples of how other factors influence our trades. And again, this is where a lot of swing traders make their mistakes. They just they zone in on, okay, I like Netflix. It's a good setup. I'm going to trade it. But then how do you separate yourself and understand how to actually manage the trade? A lot of that is the market analysis and sector analysis and all these other things we're looking at. Whereas, again, I would have got out at 340, but now I'm getting a bigger gain because we knew all these other factors that were in play. So that's an example of a continuation pattern and a breakout. Let me look at what some stocks I'm considering right now. Actually, Kanal just was chatting with me about Shaq. Here is a, a fantastic breakout play. So I'm not in this right now, but it has been on our watch list. We were watching it as an earnings breakout. Now it's broke a high. So whereas Netflix was a pullback play for us, both are continuation patterns. That was a pullback play. This one is a classic breakout. So you know we were watching for a break of 60-50. It's already up to 62 I'm going to watch it for the rest of the day. Ideally, I'd like to get in in the 61s. It's a little off where I'd like to enter at this point. But if it pulls back in to say 61 later in the day and we're still above this breakout level, I'll probably enter uh, Shaq. So two different types of continuation patterns. One was a pullback play. Shaq would be kind of a breakout play here. Mm -hmm. And then another one would be EXAS. This one's breaking out today as well. And 
this one's got a lot of short interest, so we could potentially have a good short squeeze on this one. That's another thing we look at really closely with our swing trades is short interest. Those are some examples of types of setups we're trading in the current market right now. Mm -hmm. Are there any kind of instances where you would kind of cut your trades short? So let's say they were to be in profit, but you close them earlier because you see something happening or you always... Yeah, actually, I almost did that yesterday. So, and actually... I was in, let me give you an example of that. I was in Lulu yesterday. So we entered Lulu as a continuation pattern. So you can see this was an earnings breakout, made a big run, and then pulled back here when it remounted the nine. This is again, continuation pattern, pullback remount setup. We entered in the 97s. And yesterday, we know earnings is on Thursday. And my initial plan going into the week was a lot of times these stocks that have been trending going into earnings, they'll actually make a big move and then they'll sell off on earnings. So we were trying to game that and we were sitting at 107 to start the week. And my expectation was we'd run to maybe 111, 112 going into the Thursday earnings, which is tomorrow. But because of the news out of Italy yesterday, I had to kind of change up my plan. And when it got to 106, I got out. So it was still about a, a nine or 10 point gain, but I was going for a bigger win. I was looking for you know maybe 12 or 13 points but because of the kind of curveball the market threw to at us yesterday, changed that plan and got out. We still got two to one on it, so that's good. But my initial target level was adjusted, again, because of what we were seeing in the market yesterday. Love that. We have a question here from E.D. Cooper, which I think would be interesting to answer now. Uh, he's uh -huh. asking, when you look to buy on pullback, do you have any specific entry single that you look for? Or because you look a lot at like strength, but is there, is there something specific you look at? Because I think you have a lot of setup on that topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let, let's go back to Netflix. I think this will illustrate a couple of points. One, let's think about this. We can actually look at these two, actually these three pullbacks all illustrate some of the elements we're looking for. So one, I want to see a good volume pattern. So think about a stock that has run and pulled back. We still want to see good money flow. So if the money flow changes, I'm going to be concerned. And what I mean by money flow is accumulation and distribution? Are the big guys still buying and accumulating? And when they sell, are they selling heavy or light? If I see heavy selling, I'm going to be more concerned about the pullback and I might shy away from it. And when I say heavy selling, I don't mean price action. What I mean is volume. So let's look at these three last pullbacks in Netflix. They were actually very healthy pullbacks. So this first run by Netflix, it ran from 185 all the way to 300. I mean, that is a huge move, right? And we had a lot of big volume coming in. So it's natural at some point we're going to get a deep pullback in that stock. It's run so much that once it starts selling, these guys are going to be scared and they're going to lock in profits and you're going to see some selling. And we can see price action went from three, I will say 287, all the way down to a low here of 239. So like a 50 point move. So that sounds like a lot, but what was positive about this pullback, even though we're looking at a 50-point pullback, was the volume pattern was still really good. So when it did sell off, look at the red volume. It was very low. That means that a lot of people are still holding onto the stock. You know, They're not just jumping out of it. Now, if the selling had been up here, we would have seen red bars up here. I would have been more concerned. So that's the first thing I'm looking at. That's the first step. Accumulation and distribution. Then from there, I start looking for potential entry triggers. And at that point, I want to see when the stock pulls back to support levels, how does it handle those support levels? And there's multiple support levels I'm looking for. One is just straight price action. So where was their buying and selling? And we know on Netflix here, there was the open gap level here, which provided really good support. And even when it broke it, it came back very strong and formed this hammer above that level. That was a real positive. It never did hit this level, but I would have, if it did, I would have watched this range very closely down here. So that's a key level. Any, we alluded to this before, any open gaps are important levels. And then finally, the moving averages. Price action is the most important thing, but we also watch the moving averages, especially on fast momentum trending stocks. I like to look at the 9 EMA. And uh, I'll either enter, if I think everything is looking really strong, I might enter even below and kind of game the remount, or I'll wait for the remount. So with Netflix here, you can either enter it on the hammer here, which was a good signal, or the break of the 9. So these would have been really nice pullback plays here. And I had traded it through this period. I don't remember exactly how I traded it. But here, again, on this pullback, we saw the same thing. Pretty good volume pattern. 
We saw a deep pullback and then we crossed back up over the nine right here. We held this old high. So we did start to break down, but then remounted that level, which was good. And then this would have been a nice setup here. And then the most recent trade was the remount of the nine here off this pullback and testing these support levels here. So essentially, we want to see, you know, if we were to sum up what we're looking for, it's price action, how price action is acting towards support levels, and then money flow and volume. Are we seeing continued strength in, you know, supply and demand and buying and selling? That's good. Perfect. And so my question now is like, when you stop this, do you keep trading those pullbacks or do you have a sign where it's going to be a kid that's enough pullbacks? Probably going to not so, pull back again. And continue. Unless I get a signal telling me otherwise, I keep trading it until it doesn't work anymore. So at, at some point it'll break down and then obviously you get stopped out for a small loss mm -hmm. and then maybe the run is over. But keep doing this. You know, this worked here, this worked here, now this has worked here and these were all huge gains. If there is something concerning then I won't take the trade. So when I say conservating, it can be specific to the stock or it can be the market. So specific to the stock, what we were talking about volume pattern. If we see a change in accumulation and distribution, if all of a sudden the selling seems more serious and you know maybe it looks like the big guys, and when I say big guys, I mean you know the big hedge funds, the big banks, the Goldman Sachs, they're the ones who make these big, you know, when you see volume around 20 million, it's not us retail traders that are causing this. So if we start to see big selling, even if price action is good, I'll stay away from the stock. And then uh, my market analysis factors into it too. Uh, if the market is looking weak, if we're getting bad news, like, you know, if the trend from yesterday's bad news in Italy had continued, I'd be pulling out of these trades or I might not be looking to take trades. So that can be a factor. The stock sector can be a factor. So say you're trading an energy stock. And even though your stock looks good, the rest of energy is starting to tank. I'd be more hesitant to take that trade. So again, a lot of different factors, whereas you know, with your day trading, you don't care so much about this stuff. But with swing trading, these other factors become very important. Perfect. Love it. And so if you ask me a question about the methodology and the setup and everything, we'll go to them after. But I kind of want to go back and talk about some of the things. Because like we said, there's a lot involved with swing trading that is not placing trades. So right. I want to know a little bit about kind of what are your habits, could be trading habits, maybe non-trading habits that kind of support your trading. Do you have anything specific in mind? For me, processes and routines are very important. So it may sound boring, but I do the same things over and over again. So for example, specific to swing trading, you know, you're doing stuff in the daytime, monitoring some things, but the important part is done after market hours. So either in the evening or pre-market getting prepared. To the point that the easiest part is when you actually make the trade. That's the stress-free right. part. And that's the part that a lot of people get backwards. You see most traders, they're stressed out when they're making the trade. You know, they're thinking a lot. They're calculating the risk-reward. You know, they're wondering if they should take the trade. And then they finally kind of pull the trigger. Or they don't take the trade. And I get that a lot of times with students I'm mentoring. I'll, you know, they'll talk about a great setup and they'll kick themselves for not taking it. And I'll, you know, I'll say, why, why did you not take it? And, you know, they'll say, well, you know, I, I was just kind of a mess when I took the trade and I wasn't sure if I should take it. But if you've done the research, then the easiest part is actually taking the trade because you've already done everything and you know to just place the trade now once you get that trigger. So it starts every evening, basically after market close. The first thing I start with, it's kind of a top-down approach. So the first thing I do is I start with my market analysis. Before I even get to any stocks, my watch list, my focus list, scanning, any of that, I start with the market analysis. So I look at SPY, IWM, and the Qs. What did these things do today? And from there, that kind of guides me. You know, has any, usually not a lot has changed. Sometimes there's something significant happen and you have to adjust what you've been doing. But th that's my starting point is the market. And that kind of guides my frame of mind. Am I bullish? Am I bearish? Am I market neutral? Do I want to get very aggressive right now or do I want to be more conservative? Is this a spot where I'm hardly taking any trades or is this a spot where I should be taking trade after trade? So start with that. Then I go to sector analysis. I break down the sectors. Not only today, what sectors were hot, but over the last five days, over the last 30 days. What areas are moving? I know those are the areas I should be in. And then from there, once I've done the market analysis, sector analysis, uh, from the sector analysis, I get some more stocks that maybe weren't on my list before. Okay, this sector is moving. You know, say solars were moving and they weren't on my radar. I'll, I'll throw some solar stocks into my watch list. Then from there, 
I go to my actual watch list and I keep, I have a lot of different watch lists, but my, I basically have five main watch lists. So my five main watch lists are my main momentum watch list that has, you know, the FANG stocks, Facebooks, Amazons, other areas that have been in play. About 70% of my trades come from my main momentum watch list. Then I keep an overbought and oversold list where obviously there's specific setups for those. Overbought lists will either have continuation patterns or extended stocks that can be shorted. And overbought would be the opposite. I'm looking for bottoming formations or shorts. And then breakouts and breakdowns. And I have specific setups that I trade for those. So I go through those lists and you know, between all of those lists, maybe I look at 300 or 400 different stocks. From there, I'm trying to narrow it down to somewhere between 10 and say 25 stocks that I'm going to watch the next day for potential swing trades. So stocks that are actually close to triggering. And those are the stocks that I'll potentially trade the next day. So now the next day, I don't have to worry about the whole universe of you know thousands of different ETFs and stocks to trade, right? I've narrowed it down to 10 to 25 things to watch, which is great for a part-time trader. You know, if you're at your job and you've got a lot of work, you know, you're, you're busy with your work, you don't have to be really studying the market. You're only watching for these triggers in these 10 or 20 stocks. And what I do is at that point, once I've narrowed it to 10 or 20 different stocks, I pretty much have laid out where I'm going to enter if I do enter, where my stop is going to be, and where my target is going to be for all of those 20 stocks. So then when I actually make the trade, I don't have to do any thinking. I know, okay, this should be my position size. This is where my stop. This is where my target's going to be. Basically, I don't have to think. I just make the trade. So all the heavy lifting is done outside of the market hours for swing trading. And then when I actually need to place a trade, it's really stress-free. I, just, I know exactly what to do, place a trade, and then you know, kind of set it and forget it, sit back and wait and see what happens. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear about what would be kind of a typical day of a trader having a full-time job trying to trade like this. Because would uh, they be using the chart while they work or would they just be doing everything before? Yeah, and actually it's even easier now than it was for me because with, you know, we've got giant phones now, we've got great yeah. charting software. So I, I use TC2000 and the app on the phone is actually really good. I use interactive brokers for my trades and the platform to trade off your phone is really good. So what I used to do was basically I wanted to be able to watch the open. I wanted to be able to watch maybe one or two specific times during the day. You know, one kind of earlier in the day, a little after uh, Wall Street has their lunch and everyone's coming back. And then once about an hour, hour and a half before the market close and then right at the market close. So basically, I wanted to, for you know, maybe five minutes each, I wanted three or four times in the day where I could look at the market. And that's all I really needed to do as, as a swing trader. So if you can invest maybe 15 to 20 minutes during your workday, that's all you really need. So you know, I timed my break around the market open. So mm -hmm. for me, I was in Minnesota at the time. So that would be around 8.30, you know, 8.30 in Minnesota. So I would basically time my breaks so I could be looking at my screen, you know, from 8.30 to 8.40. Uh, now it's much easier. You can just, you know, pull up your phone and, and quickly look at your stocks. Then I would, two hours later, I'd look at the market for another five minutes. And then another hour or two later again, and then near the close. And that's all you really needed to do. So have your watch list, you know, there specific with those 10 stocks and just see what they're doing. And if you get the trigger, just quickly place, place a trade on your phone and that's it. Yeah. But, so now, now it's really easy to do. So I think the biggest lesson from this is that you, like you didn't show up at your work with your phone trying to look for, for trading setup. You did the work before. Because exactly. People are going to look at the, they're going to be at their job with their cell yeah. phone trying to look at the chart, but that's just what you want to do. That won't work. And no, you either. Right. The prep is all done before that. Love that. So it's really not time consuming to do during the day. And, and no one's going to have to come in and say, hey, get, you know, <laughs> get off that and get back to work. You don't have to do any of that. It's really a simplified process for trading. And I'll actually, uh, let me share my screen here. I wrote an article a while back on Bulls on Wall Street. There's an article I wrote here that pretty much lays out the process. We explained much of it here. But if you go on Bulls on Wall Street or just type, uh, Google part-time trading made it easy, Bulls on Wall Street. It'll come up here and I have a little video here as well, but it lays out the exact process I used, you know, while I was, obviously I don't have to do this now, although I, I still use a lot of the same steps for what I'm doing for my swing trading. 
But this is a really simplified process that'll, that'll lay out exactly what you need to do you know, if you are trading part-time. Cool. I want to get to a few of the questions people add. And if you have any questions okay. more, just comment below in the chat. Good question here. Is trading stocks better than trading Forex? I think you'll have a different view than me on this, but uh, I want to Right. You know, there is, I, I think there is no right answer. There's, you know, mm -hmm. there's um, tons of different ways and strategies. This is not specific to the difference between Forex and stocks, but even within stocks, I remember I was at a conference a few years ago uh, and there were two famous traders. I've told the story a lot, but it just baffled me or it just blew my mind when I heard it because there was one trader who's a legend who I've always looked up to. And he, he had laid out you know, how he trades and he basically said, uh, I forgot specifically what it was, but he said, never do this, right? You won't be successful if you do this. And this, the, the very next speaker was another legendary successful trader and he comes in and his whole strategy is based around what this other guy said not to do. So, right. you know, there's, there's many ways to trade. And, you know, when I talk to people and I'll, I'll get asked, say some indicator that I don't use. For example, with day trading, I don't use level two. I've studied just about everything. And I studied level two and it gave me no edge. But yet, I know successful traders who could not trade without level two. They have to have it and they have a big edge on it. So here you have me, I would never tell anybody don't use level two because I know there are people who are successful with it. I'll just say it doesn't work for me. And a lot of it is figuring out what works for you. I personally have never traded Forex, so I can't even speak to that. But I have traded futures and other markets. And for me, stocks is the best thing. But obviously, you know, you gravitated toward Forex because that's yeah. what works for you. So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer in terms of what is better. You have to experiment with both and see what kind of fit, fits you. The nice thing I think about certain things, like say, I know with futures, futures trade more technically correct. So if you're really into technical analysis, futures are really good for technical analysis. With stocks, there are moving parts you have to have maybe a little deeper understanding of. So I would say experiment with both and then see what works for you. Ideally, if you can trade, the more things you can trade, the better it is because it creates alternative streams. So you know, if the market isn't great, before we got on this call, you were talking about how, you know, there have been periods in Forex where it kind of lulled and then periods where it, were exci it was exciting. Yeah, yeah. If you trade more things during those lulls, you can gravitate towards something else. So I would say, you know, experiment with both and see what fits you. And ideally, if you experiment with both and you master both, you can, you know, kind of gravitate towards one or the other, depending on what's working, what market is working best for them. Yeah, that's a very good point for sure. Yeah. And I don't know if you've done the same by implementing your day trading as well into swing trading, which is very good. That has been fantastic because especially with swing trading, think about with Forex, are you an active Forex trader or do you, are you do more longer swing trades? Yeah, or both? Or both. Charts, the lowest, but I would say it's quite the longer term side, not the day You're, you're on the longer term side. Okay, so with longer term trading, everyone goes through drawdowns. Yeah. So think about with swing trading. There are months where you might take three or four trades or other months you might take 20 trades. But let's say in a typical month you take, let's say you take eight trades. So, and it's going to happen to everyone that you've probably gone through this. There are periods where you might even have a 10 trade drawdown. Yeah. It yeah. happens. It happens. So think about how miserable that is when you're swing trading and you yeah. go through one of these drawdowns and it's going to last you two months. Right? Right, right. So then with the day trading, you go through the exact same drawdown and it happens in two days because you make 10 trades in like two days. So that's a nice thing where you're going through that miserable period in swing trading where you're in the middle of a drawdown, you can be successful at day trading. And also different markets are better. Swing trading has picked up in the last couple of weeks, but much of 2018 has not been a good swing trading market, but it has been a fantastic day trading market. Yeah. So like while I, you know, it stunk for swing trading for a couple of months for me, I was having some of the best day trading I've had in years. So that's what I mean by alternative streams. When one isn't working that well, it might be a good market for the other one. Let me share my screen really quick here. 2017 was good for swing trading. We had a really nice trend. 2018, we've had one of the choppiest markets we've had in a long time, in years, maybe five years. So this was not the best period for swing. But if you look at the intraday volatility, whereas look at all of 2017, while it was good for swing, 
look how tight all of these candles were for all of 2017. Whereas now look at the intraday ranges in 2018, huge intraday ranges. I mean, we would have one day that was worth like months of last year, right? So you can Mm -hmm. see right away, not good for swing, but amazing for day trading, getting this kind of intraday volatility. So if you can master a couple of things, that's really good. Obviously, you know, for if you're working part-time, it's going to be tough to day trade, but there are other ways to, other things you can do. So if you're a swing trader, maybe you can get into options as well. Maybe you can get into futures, cryptos, whatever it is. It's good to have a couple of different things that you're doing. But one thing I would definitely say as well is don't jump the gun and try to learn everything. That's going to be impossible to do. So you have to master one thing at a time. And even like for swing trading, you have to learn swing trading. And when I get into swing trading with students I mentor, I'll mentor them for six months. And what I'll do is they want to learn everything right away. But I take one concept and you have to master that before you go to the next one. So you have to like learn these pieces slowly, then it all comes together. Then once you've mastered swing trading, then go to something else, then go to futures, then go to options and go to you know day trading, whatever it is. Yeah, that's a very good point. And there's a kind of different question here. So you might not be aware of this, but there's been kind of a new rule in the EU where people are able to use less leverage on Forex. So they've been reduced like, I think, 20 or 30 to 1 on some pairs they trade. Uh-huh. As opposed to like like 100 or 500 before to 1. Wow. wow. So I'm not sure you use it for yourself in stocks or what's uh-huh. your view on leverage for all? Uh, shoot, even 20 or 30. I mean, that's amazing. 20 or 30 sounds a yeah, lot to me. So, yeah, yeah, you know, for what I do, like an interactive broker, is you get for, for your overnight holds, you get 2 to 1. Yeah. And for your day trades, you get 4 to 1. It's a whole so so yeah. even dropping from 200 to 20 seems insane to me, the 20 to 1. Uh, and I'd probably be worried about, I guess as long as you manage your risk well, it's fine. But you know, I, I don't think you need to, and you know, I, I don't know what the strategies are for Forex, but I don't see why you would ever need 2 to 1. You know, just trade 4 or 5 to 1 and just grind it up, grind it up. You know, don't risk too much of your account. Unless you're willing to just try to hit a home run and willing to lose big you know, to hit that home run. Why don't you enlighten me? With that, are you trading with that kind of leverage? I think well, some brokers are forced by default where you have to put like, right. I think money set to 1 to 30. But it doesn't mean oh. I'll use that and I'll never ever use that. Like, it's uh-huh. set by so you, you have the ability to too, but when you actually take a trade, what type of leverage are you using? Well, it's, it's always by default. So it's going to be, let's say, 1 to 30. But oh, okay. it doesn't mean you'll, okay. you'll max your account. Like, you right. Okay. Got it. Got it. Rolling, but yeah. Right. Right. So. That's different. But that, that's the thing with stocks and similar uh, markets, you cannot use too much leverage, which is interesting to know. So right. kind of a different right. Goal, but yeah. Right. I would imagine in, in Forex, you get a lot of people blowing up their accounts with that kind of leverage. Exactly. Yeah. We have a good question here. Speaking of, of that from uh, Anup, how do you handle a few days of big losses in your account? What's like the psychology behind this? Yeah, you have to understand that what you're doing works, assuming you have strategies that work. So the first thing I do when I'm going through a drawdown is I take a step back and analyze what I've been doing. And I, I don't do it right away. I'll try to give it a day or two. But I try to come back with a fresh mind and analyze what I'm doing. And what I want to see specifically, break down what I've been doing. Am I doing the right thing? And I've just been, you know, we could say unlucky. Or am I making mistakes? And what I mean by unlucky is as traders, we're not 100% right. There is no right or wrong when we make a trade, right? We're trading probabilities. So, and there are very few setups that are even above 70% in terms of success rate. So we're trading minimal edges and then we're trying to get a good risk reward on them. So if I can trade a setup that's say a 55% win rate and I'm getting two to one, over time I'm going to crush it, right? But and you could actually even trade 40% and at two to one, you're going to crush it. But when you're trading a 55% probability, it's not like flipping a coin you know, over 100 times and it's going to be 5-5 five, five every time. Or it is like a coin. When you flip it, maybe that first time they all land heads. And if you call tails, you're 0 for 10. But you know over time, it's going to balance out. So what you want to analyze is, am I doing the right thing, but I'm just on the wrong side of that probability? Or am I making mistakes? So that's what I try to analyze. I look at the market and I'll say to myself, okay, I took this setup. And you can see how much of the market analysis factors into my swing trading. Uh, But 
I'll look at the market and I'll say, should I have been trading? I start with, should I have traded this setup? And if the answer is yes, the answer might be no. And then I know it was a bad trade and it's actually me. It's not the probabilities. And now I have to make some changes. But if I get to that point where I say, yes, this was the right setup to trade, then I break down the setup. Here's the setup. Did I trade the setup correctly? And if the answer is yes to that as well, then I don't have a problem with what I did. And I'll say, you know what? I'm on the wrong side of probabilities. This is going to flip around. I just have to keep doing what I'm doing. Now, if I find subtle things that I should have done differently that I need to tweak, then I'll tweak them. And I'll come up with a new plan. So you want to make it really analytical and not emotional. I know it's tough because you know no one wants to lose. And most of us traders, we are very competitive and you know, want to win all the time, but you have to be at peace with losing. I mean, think about, you know, baseball, the best hitters only hit the ball 30% of the time. So I'm sure it's like that in other sports too. I mean, in, in soccer, most games, are, there's two or three goals, right? So they're missing a lot of, uh, I'm not a soccer fan, but uh, shots, I guess, <laughs> kicks or whatever, whatever it is. So um, the point is you're going to lose and you have to be at peace with that. And you just have to break down what you're doing and adjust properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love that. Perfect. But if you guys are enjoying this uh, live so far, please give it a like. It would be awesome to let uh, me and Paul know that you like this uh, YouTube live, and that would be perfect. Now, we have two questions about books. One question is about any books you recommend for technical analysis for swing traders, and the other one is about books you found to help your mindset in trading. I'm not a fan of books for trading. I think most of them are not very good. Yeah. I don't know how it's been for Forex for you, but there's a lot of misinformation and old information. Uh, and it, yeah, yeah. And I can't think of one book to recommend in terms of setups and actually learning how to trade. And all this stuff I've been talking about, moving parts and all that, you get very little of that in books. It's all going to be, okay, this is the setup. But if you just go by those setups, you're not going to be a successful trader. And I think because of that misinformation, that's why a lot of traders are failing. In terms of mindset, the classic is trading in the zone. I've probably read that book, you know, over the last 20 years, at least 15 or 20 times. Really good book. These days, I don't read any trading books. All of the books I read are based on decision making uh, because that's so important to a trader. And understanding, you know, logic flaws, our mental flaws, our human emotions, that type of thing. So that's what you really need to master. In terms of learning setups, You could take one of the classic technical analysis books and just to have a basic understanding of basic setups, like the, uh, I'm forgetting even the names of the books, but there's the standard tech. I read this book like 15 years ago, that standard, is it by McGee and Murphy and McGee or a standard technical analysis book just to get the basics of the setup. But even those now are flawed. Let me give you an example. One example would be topping formations. So for example, and you know, SPY would be the start of the classic uh, head and shoulders or double top kind of topping formation. And the classic way that that book says to trade it is to wait for this whole thing to form and then trade the breakdown way down here. And, you know, for years I did that and I was lagging, you know, the results I should have been having. And I realized there were so many setups within that pattern that I could be trading. And I basically developed them setups on my own. So a lot of it is studying chart after chart and coming up with this stuff on your own. Follow a, a good trader, someone you know is successful, that you, you, know, you follow their stuff and you see that they're, they're good traders. You know, most of Twitter is full of misinformation and bad traders, but you'll be able to identify the guys who are good and you can kind of follow what they're doing. Obviously, you could, uh, you know, there's courses. Um, and again, you have to be sure that it's, it's a good course. Bulls on Wall Street, obviously, is fantastic. But I would stay away from the books and focus on actual learning through, you know, what you're seeing in the markets. Yeah. And yeah, practice in terms of like looking at charts and seeing things for yourself. Yeah. Right. And and trading trading in the zone. And I think there's another book, Trading Mindset. Those are two really good books uh, for the mental aspect. Those are much more valuable than any book on actual trading and setups is going to be. Joe, who asked a question, mentioned a couple of other few books that are, I think, really good, especially The Obstacles of the Way by uh, that uh, Ryan. Oh, right, right. I've, I've mentioned that yeah. book, Obstacles of the Way. That's uh, a great book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there is an interesting thing in that book where if you look at the S&P 500, uh-huh. I think it was over 
half. Yeah, yeah Ryan Holiday is great, Ryan, uh, yeah, Joe. Exactly. But over 50%, I think it might even be higher, of the stocks in the S&P 500 actually started in bear markets. So that kind of tells you that you know the obstacle is the way. These are companies that came out of the worst markets and now are leaders. And the same thing goes, there is no successful trader who has just traded you know, without any big obstacles. You know, I, I started out blowing up two accounts. And I think we talked about this last interview, but when I started in the early, late 90s internet boom, I didn't know what I was doing. And I ran up $5,000 to over 200,000. And it was just because of the market and the whole thing crashed and I lost everything. And then my second account was the same thing, lost it all. So I had to, if I had given up and said, you know, I don't know, you know, I can't do this. I would never, you know, I wouldn't have this career that I have right now. So you have to get through the obstacles, definitely. Powerful. Question here, a little more technical. This is from uh, Shodaro. What is the best way you've seen to choose profit targets? Okay, the starting point is the stock itself. So let me actually pull up Netflix again, since that's, I'm, I'm in that and we talked about it already. So we know how I entered the stock. Let me get in a little closer here. So there are a number of factors we look at. The starting point is my own risk reward. So we know how I entered. We talked about that. We entered right here on, on the break at around 314. Stop was right in here, about seven points. Target, initial target was the top of the range around 335. So this illustrates a couple of things I'm looking for. One, I'm starting with my own risk award. I know I need to be get, able to get two to one. Sometimes, depending on setup, maybe I'll be willing to go down to 1.5 to one. Meaning, wherever I'm going to get out, I want to be able to make double that. So if I'm risking seven points we talked about here, I want to be able to get 14 points. Now, I can't just blindly do that. It has to make sense within the stock, right? If I create a seven-point stop, but it's right in here where we're in part of the range of the stock, that would be stupid. I'm almost assuredly going to get stopped out. So I need to place the stop where it makes sense on the chart. So with Netflix, we know the range is right here. We know the 50-day moving average is right here. So my stop needed to be under that range. So 306, 307 was that point. Entry was at 314. And the target has to make sense too. I don't want my target to require me to break through a resistance level. So we knew the high here, the all-time high on Netflix was right around 335. The exact number intraday was 338.62. So that's why I made my initial target 335, right at the resistance level. So from there, we know we're getting over two to one. I'm risking seven to make 20 points, 21 points. So actually it was closer to three to one. So my risk reward is good. It makes sense within the chart in terms of supports and resistance levels. So that's the initial analysis. And from there, then I'm going to ask myself, what kind of market am I in? So if I'm in a range-bound market, I'm going to stick with that top of the range because I'm not confident that I can break through that resistance level. But the factors we talked about earlier today in terms of what the market is doing made it so I was willing to try to break through the resistance level and I think we could get a bigger trend. So there are other factors in play in terms of setting the target, but initially it's basically risk reward and where it makes sense on the chart. And from there you adjust based on other factors that might be coming into play. Perfect. And do you have any favorite kind of EAs or tools to use? Because I know people, they, like, they focus a lot on like, the, the EA period that they use, like which one's the best, not best, doesn't work, work. Uh, yeah, what, do, what, do you, what do you mean by EA? Uh, I mean, I mean, EMA is like a moving average. Yeah, so I use the 50-day uh, simple moving average, the 200-day uh -huh. simple moving average, and the 9 EMA, exponential moving average, which the 9 EMA, if you like to use simple moving averages, basically relates to the 5 uh, simple moving average. The reason I use those three is very simple. It's basically what most people are using. Yeah. And so that's where the, what's going to be traded around. I used to use the 20 simple moving average a lot, which a lot of people still use, but I found that it wasn't, it wasn't giving me the results that it used to give, so I took that off. But I still experiment it with it, and if I feel like it starts to work a lot, I'll throw it back on. Another common one is 100, but I've never really used 100 too much. And 200 basically sets my more long-term trend. 50-day, obviously, intermediate, and then the 9 EMA is for kind of the fast-moving trend. Perfect, perfect. And so my question was, when you want to experiment with something, how do you do it? You just like trade normally and add something to your chart and see how it reacts? Or do you go back in time and back to something? 
I go back in time. What you want to do anytime you test something, you want to test it in different markets. And I think that's an area that a lot of people make a mistake. So say there's a setup you're, you're testing. People will look at it specifically, say, in the last four months in this certain market and get their results. And they'll say, oh, wow, this is a 70% success rate. And all of a sudden later, they start trading and it's not doing the same thing. Yeah. So you want to test it in different markets. So anytime I'm testing something, I test it in range-bound markets and downtrending markets and uptrending markets. I'll look at what different sectors have been doing. So you have to think a lot about a lot of different things. So if I see that in if this specific setup does really well in a range-bound market, but in a downtrending market, it does horrible, I'm going to note that. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to trade it, but I'm going to make sure to only trade it in that specific area that it tested well in. Love it. That's, and I guess you can just look at the chart back in time a little bit and decide like what phase that was and then back to that phase, right? Right, right. Exactly. Perfect. Cool. Is there anything we didn't touch on that you would like to uh, talk about or mention? Or I don't know, we'll, we'll try to put a link in the chat because I didn't put it before for Bulls and Wall Street. So yeah, I run the swings trading service at Bulls on Wall Street. You can go to bullsonwallstreet.com. There's a lot of free blog posts that are really good. Go to Swing Trade Alerts for me specifically. Uh, then Canal runs the day trading stuff. So there's all that. I day trade as well. But for Bulls on Wall Street, my style is very similar. If you're interested in day trading, check that out. I have my own personal blog. I do personal mentoring. So if you're interested in that, contact me. My personal blog is more related to mindset type stuff rather than specific you know, setups and trades. But that's pauljsing.com. So you can check me out there. In terms of part-time trading, go to this link here. And we're actually going to start starting June 1st. Uh, I think you guys are going to like this, especially you part-time traders. I'm going to start a part-time trading series of free blog posts every day. So it's going to be 30 days. Uh, called 30 Days to Master Part-Time Swing Trading. So that's going to be really good starting June 1st. So sign up for Bulls on Wall Street. They're free posts. And also, if you're a Swing Trade member, I'm going to start mentoring sessions twice a month uh, where we go through and it's going to be really focused on education. So there's all that good stuff. Otherwise, you know, if you just have some questions, you want to talk to me, go ahead and email me, singjd1 at aol.com and you can contact me anytime. 